Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Um, it's good to be together again today. Um, I have uh, shifted over to the church building because we were a little worried about the internet at our home. So that's why I have a different background. Um, and I also set up a new camera. And on my camera, we put a little sticker with a smiley face on it. So I, at least I'm looking at the smiley face. But I can imagine, again, uh, the blessing of being with so many wonderful saints from all over the world and reminded, again, of what a blessing it is to be uh, together in the house of God. Um, this is a family that we have. And uh, we have a father who is uh, nurturing us forward for good things. And this weekend, he has really done that. So um, please, if you could, uh, turn with me again to Zechariah chapter 9. Before I begin, I just wanted to also mention one thing, and that is that several saints were kind to uh, remind me. I guess yesterday when I shared about Luke, uh, John chapter 11, I said that it was Mary, um, but it was Martha uh, uh, who had that interaction with the Lord. So I just wanted to clarify that in case uh, that was a point of confusion. So um, Zechariah chapter 9, we're going to start in verse uh, number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 57 and 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And then if we could, Luke, the gospel according to Luke chapter 22. This is the opening scene of that last day, that great day. So Luke chapter 22, verse 66. And, it went, and when it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. And then we're going to turn to the gospel according to John, chapter 18. John chapter 18 in verse 37. This is after he had been delivered over to the, to the Romans. Pilate therefore said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. 
For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then if we could um, turn back again to the verse that we began with, Matthew chapter 16. We'd just like to begin in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but, others, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this afternoon, and we thank you for all the great things that you have done. And Lord, we, today we, uh, we stand together by faith. We believe in the Son of God. And Lord, we give you this time. We pray, Lord, that you would open your word to our hearts. And Lord, encourage us where we need encouraging. Convict us, Lord. Lord, most of all, we pray that you would have a way uh, to speak to us, to all of us who need you. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And we stand in the good of the victory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, we have been about this uh, time the matter of the prophecy that was made in Zechariah chapter 9. Behold, your king is coming. And what we learn of that king is that he is endowed with salvation, and he is just, and he is also humble, and he was seated upon a donkey. And this verse was tied for us to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where we're reminded that our victory today is in the Lord Jesus Christ that how we live and how we can function in these days is because of him. We also shared yesterday that um, the Lord came as the son of man. He was humble and he was in fact seated on a donkey. And many who saw him could not recognize that the son of God could become a man. Not only a man, but one who was so down to earth. My, uh, my father and I sometimes have a, a little friendly competition. He likes to suggest that in the Chinese language, there are so many wonderful uh, 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 connections between how words are written and their meaning. As example, righteousness has a, uh, a lamb over a man. And he you know, they like, he likes to show off about that. Well, I like to say, well, what about the phrase down to earth? Because the Lord Jesus literally came down to earth. And when we, people came to him during those days, there was no one who didn't feel that they weren't welcome in his presence. He was always welcoming people and he was so approachable 
and so down to earth. But brothers and sisters, we also share that he came with purpose in this way. It wasn't simply because of necessity of the offering that was to come, but he came because he wanted to learn what it was to suffer. And he came so that he could teach us not only how to serve God, but he came to teach us how we would serve one another, equipping us for the building up of the church. And he also came because he knew that some of us, all of us would get lost and that he would come to find us where we were. He was not afraid of getting dirty in the sense that his feet, his feet walked on the soil. And every day today, that one, the son of man is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is to this day, the advocate for every one of us, always living to intercede for those of us who are in need. This is our Lord who came as the son of man, but he also came the king, the coming king endowed with salvation. And so today, by the grace of the Lord, we would like to see that the son of man was the son of God. And it took the eyes of faith to see beyond the frailty of this man, to see that in everything he did, he carried with him being the precious, the only begotten son of God. Even though he laid down the, the powers uh, that came with it while he was here on the earth. And so we would like to share today about the son of God was the son of man. Now, on the morning of the crucifixion, the Lord had already been beaten by the guards. On that morning, he was brought before the Jewish Council of Elders. This council, um, in other uh, terms, was the Sanhedrin. It was a council of elders. They were religious leaders. They were scribes. They were community leaders. And the Lord was brought in his frail state before them. The Son of Man stood there in all the normalcy of a human being. He was bruised and he had been beaten. They asked him, are you the Son of God? And the Lord replied, I'm sorry, they asked him, are you the Christ? And the Lord replied with that wonderful prophecy. From today on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the throne of God, of the power on high. This was a prophecy that would come about in just days. And then they countered, are you the Son of God? And the Lord replied to them, yes, I am. He replied in truth. And they were so furious. So they dragged him away to be crucified. And they brought him before Pilate. And Pilate was querying him. And Pilate couldn't put his finger on what it was, why it was that the Jewish leaders had brought him before them to be crucified. He felt it might be because of jealousy. But he too was curious. This man was different. And, and so he asked him, so you are a king. And the Lord replied to him that he was a king, but he had been born for this time. He was born for this moment. 
that the truth might come forward. This was the opening scene, brothers and sisters, for a day that would become our day of victory. Our brother Dana shared yesterday that what he would do on this day, I'm sorry, it was this morning, what he would do on this day was, and Dana said, the most powerful tool of victory for all time. It wasn't just the macro victory, the great victory, but it was also for victory in our daily lives. And each chapter of what would happen on that day, everything that happened, even though with outward eyes, people saw the frailty of a son of man, everything that happened was built on the precious holiness of the son of the living God. Every victory today is founded, as our brother Lucio said, on the good of what he did on that day. And so much of the attacks that come against us are built on the invalidating or numbing us to or shaking us free from what the Son of God did for us on that day. On the outside, what a worthless disappointment people thought. But by that afternoon, many lives would be changed. Faith was stirred up. All, among the council of elders, the Sanhedrin, stood one many believe. He was a rich man. He was a leader of the Jews. And his name was Joseph. By that, in that, that morning, he stood in hiding for fear of what others thought of him. But by that afternoon, by faith, he stepped forward. Among them was a Pharisee who many years ago in the dead of night came to the Lord because he saw something in the Lord that was so different. That morning, he stood with the Pharisees. But by that evening, he would come forward for Christ. A guard, a Roman centurion, that morning thought, just another day at work, another person to be crucified. But by that afternoon, he would say, surely this man was the son of God. He was who he said he was. Des despite evidence to the contrary with their eyes, by faith, these would see that what he said about himself, are you the son of God? And he replied, yes, I am. They would see that he spoke the truth. The outward man was breaking. His body was failing, but more than ever, the life of the Son of Man, the Son of God, would shine forward. Today, we would look. We would like to look again together at that day of days, where the Son of God was crucified for us, and how, as our brother shared, his royal nature flowed forth. But we have to see it through the eyes of faith. How is that day linked to today? How is the victory of that day linked to today? It is because the king on that day is the king today. His presence among us is the victory. Now, to begin with, that day was an extraordinary day. 
by the middle of the day, the sky would turn dark. And underneath that sky, the Son of Man was crucified. And to his left and his right were crucified two other criminals. When the sky turned dark, it was because a change had happened. His life had gone from ministering and sharing, sharing life and sharing love and building us up to the point of a transaction, a transaction that would have to happen for there to be a victory for us today. But that day, all the attributes of the Son of God were on display, even as physically he was dying. What he would do would save us all. So we'd like to share on four aspects of that day. And we're going to begin in 1 John chapter four, uh, 5. And if you could turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And if we could turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read in verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So on that morning, after the Lord was put before the, the Sanhedrin, a special event happened. There were four men condemned to die. The Lord Jesus was among them, and also a, a man named Barabbas. We learned from Peter in uh, Acts chapter 2 that Barabbas uh, was a murderer. And also among them were two others, both nameless, but one who one day we will meet soon. Um, and that year was the year of the, uh, that week was the week of the Passover. And they had a tradition. And that was during the Passover, they would release one of the condemned to be free. And in the past, every year when the Passover would come, you could be fairly sure that 100% of the condemned were hoping that it would be them who would be chosen. But not this year. This year there stood among them one who had set his face for the cross. Pilate wanted to release him. Pilate had asked him, are you the king? And as we read, he had, the Lord had said, you say correctly that I am a king. But the Lord said, but for this reason, I have been born to witness to the truth. The Lord was telling him. I came for this moment. And the Lord here was teaching us something that is very important to a life of victory. And that is that the Lord came 
to fulfill his father's will. It is in his heart to please him. Pilate was searching for a reason to release him. The angels were on call to come to his defense. But the Lord would not give Pilate the opportunity to release him. And the Lord would certainly not call his angels to come to his side. He was determined, resolute. Our Lord knew to whom his allegiance rested. And we just read together in 1 John chapter 5 that it's a lesson for us in the moment. That where is our victory today? And our victory is an overcoming our victory to overcome the world. And in 1 John chapter 5, it tells us that our victory is in faith. And that faith is for all of us who believe that he is the son of God. And so as we looked at him in this way, apparently in failure, it takes the eyes of our, of our heart to see by faith that he is the son of God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're reminded that we walk by faith and not by sight. And if we walk by faith, it is to say that in our life, we are seeking not to please ourselves, nor to please the world, but we are seeking to please him. So brothers and sisters, the Lord demonstrated this to us in that moment. He had the opportunity to be that one, but he would not. Because he set his heart and his mind determined to go to the cross. Because this was the will of his father. Now, brothers and sisters, in recent years, the Lord has taken some faithful ones home. We remember our dear brother Hosea and our brother Lance, our brother Christian. On the West Coast, we have a dear brother named Brother Wong. These lived lives to please him. On the outside, maybe there, there wasn't much to see. But they lived lives full with the richness of the Lord. And the Lord has given us brothers who are still here with us. And when we see them, maybe with outward eyes, the world might not see, but with inward eyes, what we know is that they lived lives for him, to please him. Our temptation in these days and the constant cause of our defeat is that we believe in him. We want to live for him, but we also want to live for the world. As it relates to my life, I was just like Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin and he was honored. But on that day, faith grew in his heart as he watched and stood in the company of Christ. And that faith welled up and overflowed. So by the end of that day, he stepped forward to say that I, that I am for him. Now, this, brothers and sisters, is victory. It is an overcoming the world that we say 
that I'm going to live my life to please him. And so, brothers and sisters, the first lesson of what we learn on that day of victory from the Son of God was he saw his father as the only one whose heart and will he was here to fulfill. And he lived to please him. And might we draw from that lesson that we in our hearts have faith in the Son of God and we want to live our lives to please him. Our brother uh, shared on the first night this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's verse 15. That he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so, brothers and sisters, this is a first moment for us of what it is to have victory in the Son of God. And so, the Lord then was led away to be crucified. And all eyes were on him. But the Lord had more to teach us. Now, on this particular day, as we mentioned earlier, he continued to be everything he, was, he had been for 33 and a half years. He was, he, was, he was sharing life. He was sharing hope. He was encouraging. And he did so until the very end. And as he came to, the, to Golgotha, he was led to be crucified. Now, crucifixion was routine in those days among the Romans. They had a team. They were trained on how to do it. The cross, when we came to the cross, was a vertical beam. And the, the condemned were supposed to bring the horizontal beam to the cross. And they would lay the horizontal beam down and connect the two. And then they would crucify the man. And then they would raise the cross up and, uh, and, and plant it into the dirt with the man hanging upon it. These Romans had seen this before. And they had their own team trained up in doing it. And there was a Roman centurion among them. We think he was the captain. He had seen this many times. Many faces of many crucified. But he had never seen this face. No fear. Kindness. Determination. For most who came on that morning, on those mornings, the cross signaled the end. It was over. And their faces were such a reflection. But for this one who came on that morning, he saw something different. This was a beginning. He saw, this man was seeing past it to something more. He was looking past it to the good and to the victory. And I put here in my notes two exclamation points. That a victory was coming. And this one, this man could see it. The cross, crucifixion, was ordinarily a meaningless, pitiful end. But to this one, it was unto a purpose. And after they completed the deed, he had been crucified. And they had lifted up the cross and, and planted into the ground. They heard something wonderful. He, he prayed for them. 
He prayed for forgiveness for these Gentiles who had nailed him to the cross. Now, brothers and sisters, this was prophetic. And what the Lord came to teach us and what he said was, there is now forgiveness. Now, this was not, when he said it, just not a slogan or a saying. It wasn't exaggeration or just uh, a, 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 phrase, uh, a phrase that came to mind. This was prophetic because the Lord knew that in a short period of time, as he looked beyond what was happening to him, that forgiveness was going to be made available to everyone who would call upon his name. And the Lord also knew, and this was not hubris, that he was the only one who could go this journey that was about to come. In John chapter 1, verse 29, uh, John the Baptist said something of him. This was three years ago, before all of this had happened. So in John chapter 1, the next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And then in verse 34, he says, And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And so here in this statement that John made to introduce the Lord Jesus, he said, This is the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. And he is the son of God. So he made this connection for us that only the son of God could be the lamb of God. And we remember in the Old Testament that when we as sinners need to be made right in that moment before God, we need to bring an offering, a burnt offering for, our, for ourselves. And in Leviticus chapter 4, we are told that we are to bring this goat or this lamb before uh, the offering place, and we were to lay our hands on it, essentially to claim him for ours. And the way that the, um, the there's a name for it in, in the Jewish culture, it was that we were supposed to press our hands onto his head to say that he is mine. And I lay claim to him to stand in my place. Now on this day, the Son of God, as he was crucified, knew that only he could do this. Why? It's because the devil, he would not be cheated. In all of his perfect accounting of our debts, he knew that the offering needed to be able to pay for the debt. And so after all of our sins, yours and mine, for all of those who are here with us on Zoom and all in the world and all through time, as we have shared in the past, and we quantified it all, only one, only one was worthy to be, carried, to be able to carry that debt. Now, brothers and sisters, we have many heroes, but which of our heroes is able to do this? Only him. 
So on this day, he knew, again, it's just simply a matter of fact that he had to go this journey, the son of God, the only begotten son of God, the uniqueness, the onlyness of him. And he had to, to be there in our place. And in Colossians, we are reminded that there was a list of decrees against us. The enemy in his accounting had listed these things all out, and it was hostile to us. But on that day, it was hung and nailed to the cross, that it was paid for and finished. So brothers and sisters, in these days, every Lord's Day, when we come to the table, we remember that someone paid it all. It's finished. Every last debt has been paid. And as much as the enemy would like to resurrect that list against us, it cannot be done. There, there was a resurrection from something nailed to that cross, but it wasn't that list. Thank the Lord it was him. So the Lord now has laid claim of us because of what he paid. And he has made available to us an offering. But for us in these days, brothers and sisters, we need to lay claim of him. We need to put our hands on our Lord Jesus and say that I lay claim of you. Every Sunday, we have the chance to remember this. Now, brothers and sisters, I know what thought comes to mind. We are not worthy. And that is just a simple truth. And we just have to get over it. We are not worthy. This is not a gift given to us because of what we have done or what we will ever do. This is a gift only given because of love. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to lay claim to this gift made for us. The only son of God given for me. All of my good is in him. So, in these days, brothers and sisters, who, who can lay an accusation against us? Nobody can steal from us this gift. And we just need to remember that we have to lay claim to him. Third, so by way of reminder, our faith. And then second, our forgiveness. And then third, that God is love incarnate. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, We'll read this together about the Son of God. If you can turn to verse 9, the Bible reads, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So on this morning, we had already mentioned the two nameless criminals, and they were given uh, a sort of a front row seat to the majesty of what was happening. They all, all three knew that the end was coming of their physical bodies. And all three knew that as every minute passed, their, uh, their human bodies would would, were, were failing. And as the time passed, and folks were hurling abuse at the Lord Jesus and, and mocking him, uh, one of the criminals 
began to see with the eyes of faith. He was able to see beyond this man who was crucified before him. And he began to see that there was something of God there. And um, he, um, in a moment, he called out with the name above every names. And, 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 and he said, Jesus. And then he said, and I would imagine that the Lord heard. I know the Lord heard. And then he said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, I'm not sure that he had ever said the name before. And in case anyone didn't know his name, the Lord's name, there was a placard over his head with his name on it, with his designation on it. And, and so the man knew that that plaque was there, the king of the Jews. But suddenly he saw past the outwardness of what was happening. And he saw that this man really is the king. He was the one in Zechariah that said he was the coming king. And I can see him right now with my eyes, humble, like on a donkey. Not only on a donkey, but hum humble unto death and even death on a cross. But I am also starting to see that he is endowed with salvation. And so in that moment, he said to him, I know you are a king. And I know your kingdom is coming. And then he said, he, and, and in, the, in the same sentence, he said, Jesus, remember me. Now, brothers and sisters, this is really a moment of, of, of wonder for us. His royal nature had come forward. And this man who is calling out to the Lord, he has no name that we know of. But the Lord knew him. The Lord loved him. In John chapter 3, the Lord said that he loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the Lord, even before he called out, knew him, and he loved him. And this love was not based on what he would do or what he had done, because brothers and sisters, what is this man going to do in the next two hours of his life, nailed on a cross? He was loved because the Lord Jesus is love himself. When Saul, who became Paul, looked back on his life, he remembered himself that he was the chief of all sinners. He couldn't explain how the one whom he sought to destroy could love him so much. And so he said in Galatians chapter 2 that the life that I now, now live by faith, I, the, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave his life for me. So what he saw in this love. 
was that that the son of God gave his life for me because of love. And so it is, brothers and sisters, with every one of us. You know, if you are prone to forget, as I am, I would write it down. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And I would tape it somewhere where you can see it. You know, maybe like uh, in, in the side of your desk or on your computer or in your mirror. But to remember this. Because the life that I now live every day, the victory that I can have, it's because I live by faith in the Son of God, and He loved me, and He gave His life for me. And brothers and sisters, remembering this love, every single thing that He does in your life and in mine is framed by this love, everything. And so as we face our days and all of the difficulties that each of us is, 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 is always coming, we have to remember that our days are framed in his love, covered by that love. And then finally, uh, we are coming to the end, uh, the fourth thing that the Lord taught us as the son of God on that day. Uh, the transaction was coming when the sky would turn dark and um, he would need to bear upon himself all of our sins. And as that time was coming, the Lord brings us back to what he is always doing and what he has always done in our lives. If we, if we seek, if we search for it, he was building. Now, uh, we're going to come back again to the verse that we started with, which was at Caesarea Philippi, when the Lord um, asked them, who do you say that the son of man is? And the disciples were saying what the people were saying. And then the Lord asked them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter came forth with that revelation from his father. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so the son of man that we saw with our eyes, was this, the Christ, the Son of God. And then the Lord said, and upon that revealing, that majestic revealing, he said, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And so we're reminded of this great contest of time that the Lord is building up the church, even as his adversary is trying to tear down and we sense that tearing down every day. But the Lord was determined that he was going to build up because he loves us. And he knows that we are destined for him. Now, as a builder, the Lord, to be honest, was always a builder. The Bible tells us that it was through him that all things were made. And for him that they were made. And even when the Lord came to this earth, of all the things, the families he was born into, he he became a carpenter. And so he was, he was building things. And then we remember that in John chapter 14, he said, and I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. The son is a builder. And in this, my father's house, I am preparing a place for you. And so when he was to the, the crucified man, he said, today, today, 
you will be with me in paradise. And so the Lord was always building. And so nearing the end, and as the labor of life was catching up with him, and the, uh, the physio- physiology of crucifixion, and maybe some know that um, the most downloaded journal, the uh, article uh, from the Journal of the American Medical Association of all time was a paper in the 1980s that was called On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ. And in it, um, several brothers um, who are also physicians describe what happens to a man when they're crucified. And part of the labor at the end was um, we, um, um, we can't breathe. And the reason for this is the ordinary um, rhythm of breathing is that we use muscles uh, to inhale and it expands our rib cage and the vacuum between the rib cage and our lungs cause our lungs to expand. And then when we relax, then the rib cage closes and our, our lungs exhale. But when we're on the cross, when we're on, when a man is crucified on the cross, the uh, lungs, the rib cage is automatically flexed open because our hands are hanging. And so the resting point is inhalation. And we have to use our muscles to exhale. So we have to push ourselves up so the air can come out. And imagine doing this for hours. Well, the Lord began to wear down. His body began to fail. And so nearing the end of this labor of breathing, um, uh, something wonderful happens. Uh, at the foot of the cross, um, John and Mary were there and they were watching. And I think, I think they all knew that the end was coming. And as our Lord's head hung there towards the very end, he raised his head and he looked at John and he looked at, at Mary and he did a wonderful work of building. And he said that you two are going to become one family. Brothers and sisters, this was not just a notion of take care of yourselves after I'm gone, though he did want for that to happen. This was another prophecy. I mean, the day was he was he was prophesying like a machine gun. It was one after another. And here at the end, he was saying something is coming where we are building something where you will really be one. You will share one life and you will have one destiny. And so he was bringing them together in a very real way bound by life because the Lord is building up his church. And that work which he began on that day, or actually he's been doing it all along, the work has continued to this day in each of our lives to build up the church because the church, his house that would be his bride is the instrument for this final victory. But brothers and sisters, she needed a cornerstone, a foundation stone that would help to measure out uh, the perfect fit 
for the building up of all of the building blocks so that we would come together as we were intended. And so at Peter uh, at Pentecost or soon thereafter would say, that day, the stone which the builders rejected, he became our cornerstone. Only the son of God could do this. And so the sky darkened and the transaction was made. His life for ours. The son of God gave up his spirit and he became our cornerstone. And today, all of us are rooted in him. He is not movable. Can't knock him over. And even around us, as we see all the tectonic plates of the world moving and shifting and gliding about for the church, we are built upon this solid rock that cannot be shaken. This is a point of victory for us. The son of God was crucified and he became our foundation stone, our cornerstone, and he brought life to all of us. So brothers and sisters, this was the son of God. With our outward eyes, we would have seen a broken man who at the very end breathed his last. But to many around him and to us this day, that was the day of our victory. And for every day that we live through today, we are founded on what he did. And as our brother said, we have to learn that we live today in the good of what he has done. The royal nature of the one crucified for us. His precious worth. Precious worth. No one else could compare. Paid for all of our sins. So might we, in these days, live to please the one who loved us. And might we live in the good of what he does. So let's, let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we stand by faith in the Son of God. Lord, you have done all these great things. And we tell you this morning, Lord, that we know that you are the only one who could do these. And we thank you, Lord, for your willingness, your worth. Be praised. Be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.